Ashley Brock and I am comic book Merciless Chapter 5. The head of the school, Mr. Morrison, and Marky's teacher, Mrs. Rawls, were very nice about it, but they were empathetic that Marky's antics were disruptive and that he needed medicine to prevent it from being a distraction to the other students. Jocelyn just looked at them. She didn't agree or disagree. We would like your assurance that this matter will be resolved, Mr. Morrison said kindly. Your pediatrician can put Marky on a medicine to control his outbursts. She smiled blankly. In other words, you want me to go to my doctor and order him to put my four-year-old son on drugs? They were shocked and indignant looked. She stood up still smiling. I'll have a long talk with my son. I'll also speak with our family physician. We don't have the funds to afford a pediatrician. I'm sorry to tell you. Margie's hospital visits are expensive and we have allergists in addition to a family physician. But we'd rather limit it in our budget. I have to have medical care for both of us and a family practitioner is the best we can do right now. They were speechless. I will, however... Speak with my family doctor about your insistence that Marky needs to become drug dependent. And if my physician agrees with you, she had a sweet, then I will find another family physician. Uh, Mrs. That is Miss, I mean, Miss Perry, Mr. Morrison's name. I believe the politically correct designation is Miss, she said, helpfully. But I only think Marky, being so young, requires some help with his difficulty in focusing. That's right, sir. Make sure that every child obeys without question so the teachers don't have to deal with any behavioral problems. Miss Perry. And in our defense, Miss Rowell said quietly, our class has 35 students. We're much in the same boat as many other schools where teachers have to manage classrooms with 30 to 40 students. We do the best we can. We really care about our students, but it's so hard to teach when we have children who simply can't pay attention. Marky is disruptive. He can't sit still. He talks out of turn. He gets into things. Jocelyn said, do you have children, Miss Ross? I'm not married. I certainly wouldn't put that stigma of illegitimacy on my child. The other woman said it once and then flushed because she realized that Jocelyn had a child out of wedlock. Jocelyn smiled, but she wasn't happy with the remark. The principal cleared, I'm sure that whatever you and your physician decide will be fine with us. Of course, Miss Ross said, obviously distressed. I'm very sorry. I never should have said such a thing to you. <sighs> Their attitude took the edge off her temper. She could see their side of the issue as well. Actually, Marky likes you very much, and so do I, Jocelyn Crow. It's all right. A lot of people have said worse things to me. His father was a very good man. We had too much to drink and did something out of character for both of us. We went missing in action overseas on duty before we could get married, she added gently, telling the falsehood with the confidence of years of secret keeping. Two school officials looked guilty. A tragedy, Ms. Ross spoke for her the world is changing very quickly. Sometimes new concepts are developed, are difficult. I go to church and take Marky every Sunday, she told him in the classroom. Everybody makes mistakes and are more difficult to live with than others. But I love my son. I feel blessed to have him. He's so smart, little boy. That's why he's into everything. He's curious, and I have already discussed this with our doctor. He's researching medicines, but he says that discipline might be a better choice than drugs in Marky's case. I don't mean hitting him with a bat to get his attention, she added. The doctor says that overactive children need consistency and routine and a limit to the number of toys they play with to keep them from being overstimulated. There are many new students 
new studies on both sides of the issue, but I would prefer to at least try the least drastic measure first. If it doesn't get results, then I'll have to consider other options. Compromise, Shadow is one, is the foundation of civilization. It is, Miss Morrison agreed, rising. Seemed to relax a little. Miss Ross stood up too. She's I apologize again for my remarks. It's all right, Jackson said. You'll let me know if the situation doesn't improve, she asked the teacher. Miss Ross Yes, I will. And thank you for coming in to talk to us. I know your job requires long out. Your job, Miss Morrison asked. She works for the FBI, Miss Roll said with a grin, glancing at Mr. Morrison's shocked face. My goodness, I had no idea. I'm not involved in enforcement of federal law, she said. I only do the paperwork that helps get criminals convicted. I keep the gears oiled. He goes, how interesting. We're having a career day here in November. Perhaps you might like to speak about your duties. I would, she said, but my boss is very strict. He might not like it. We wouldn't want to get you in trouble with him, you reply. But think about it. I will. Thank you both for being so understanding. I have two daughters in high school, Mr. Morris said. I do know how children can be. He was very quiet. One of my daughters took Willow for ADD. He had her referring to the attention deficit disorder. Jocelyn wanted to ask very badly how that had turned out, but there was something in the man's face that deterred her. She thanked him again, said her goodbyes, and went to pick. It went to pick up Marky at daycare. The next day, she mentioned the principal's remark to Patsy, Agent Black Morrison. Yes, the school principal. Sad story. Sir? His eldest daughter is a senior in high school. She was arrested for possession of a Class 1 controlled substance and convicted of intent to distribute. She's on probation as a first offender. Her mother died of an overdose. Dawson was shocked. You didn't hear that from me, he added. We don't discuss cases brought by other agencies, in this case, San Antonio PD. Yes, sir, he got to say. She was placed on drugs in grammar school for ADD. That would have to be my, that would have been my next question until you said you wouldn't discuss it, she said demurely, she said. They wanted me to get my doctor to put marking on those drugs, he looked up quickly. That was uncalled for. I'm very sorry, sir. Personal matters should remain personal, especially on the job. His black eyes were sitting black. Are you going to do it? She moved uncomfortably. She didn't answer. He moved closer, so close, in fact, that she could feel the heat of his powerful body, smell the spicy cologne more. She looked up at him without her heart. Are you going to do it? He repeated in a softer tone. She thought, I told them I talked to my family physician about giving Marky drugs for behavioral modification, and that's my family physician agreed. I'd get another family physician. She remembered, I didn't really mean it. I want to do what's best for Marky. She'll go escape him. I imagine that's not all you said. Her blue eyes were Well, Marky's teacher made a remark that hit me on the raw, but I kept my cool. I can't help that everything I think appears on my face, though. He was it. Miss Perry. You're an anchor in this There. It would take longer than I've got to explain. He replied to I'm overdue for a meeting in the sack's office. And I have work to do. <laughs> Some people would consider making coffee work. She smiled when, she smiled when he'd come to think of her as trademark expression. Some people would consider a tomato a fruit. A tomato is a fruit. She made a face and went back to her desk. Marky wanted to play his video game. He grimaced when his mother started talking about his acting out in class and his inability to sit still. Nobody likes me, he muttered. 
Yes, they do, but one, when you won't stay at your desk, you make a lot of problems for your teacher. You're the only student she has. It's so boring in there, he told her. I already know all that stuff, but I'm younger than the other kids, and they make fun of me when I can't run like they can, when I count on my lungs. She felt that pain all the way to her shoes, but she knew from long and hard experience that bullies were a fact of life at any age. Unless she bull unless the bullying was taking a dangerous toll, she found it best to let Marky handle those problems himself, which he did. Once, when an older child tried to force him to give up his pocket money, he yelled thief at the top of his lungs until the owner came. He was reprimanded, but the bully got in trouble too. He never tried to extort money again. For a sickly little boy, he jostled off proudly. Mark, he had a stout and brave spirit. He wasn't afraid of anything. Why are you smiling here? I'm very proud of you, she said. Your father would be proud of you, too, for the way you handle yourself when people try to pick on you. My dad was brave, wasn't he? Very brave, she said. Don't we have any pictures of him? He asked. The question was disturbing. She knew it would only get more difficult as time went by. No, I don't, she said. I'm, I'm really sorry, Marky. Do you look like me? She studied him with a sad face. Only a little, she said in her, and heard it hit her really. Most of the other kids have daddies to take them places. I wish I knew him. He told her. She picked him up and hugged him close. I wish you did too. You like your boss, don't you? He asked when she put him down. She felt a flush. <laughs> He's very nice. He plays video games just like us. He said. His brother plays them too. You don't play much, he accused. She made kids for it. I have housework to do. Mothers are busy people. But I play with you on the weekends, don't I? Yeah, you do, you granddaughter. And I beat you every time, she agreed with a smile. I might let you win next time, he said toughly. You might, he started to answer, playful reply when the phone rang. Jocelyn picked up the receiver, still laughing from Marking's teasing. Hello? There was a pause. It was cold and unmoving. Hello? She asked him. Your boss is first, the rough boy said. Then you. What? She explained. The dial tone was the only response she got. She wanted to think it was a mistake, a wrong number, but she knew it wasn't. She felt cold chills at the threatening words. It wasn't, Mommy. It's the wrong number, baby, she said and forced his mom. I have to get your clothes ready for school tomorrow. I'll be in the laundry room. <laughs> okay, he said absently, already lost in his video game. Jocelyn closed the door of the playroom and leaned back against the wall with her eyes closed. She couldn't remember ever feeling so afraid. She almost called her boss to tell him about the threat. But she thought she'd involved she'd involved him too much already in her private life. It wasn't a good policy to bring domestic problems to work. She didn't want to jeopardize his job or own. She didn't want him around Marky either. On the other hand, she had a sneaking hunch about the identity of her caller. She couldn't prove it. She only heard Harold one of his boys once when he called brazenly to tell her boss he was out of jail. Strange though, the voice seemed deeper than the robes. But he could be disguising it. Cole bothered her, so after she reminded Mr. Blackhawk about his day schedule and noted that he had ten minutes free before he was due in federal court to testify on a case, she walked into his office and closed the door. He gave her a surprise look. She sat down in front of him and says, I'm sorry, but I had a phone call last night, and although I can't swear to the identity of the caller, I think it might have been Harold Monroe, he said up straighter. His wet black eyes narrowed. What did he say? 
that you were first and I was next. His expression was harder. You have an answering machine on your phone. She nodded enthusiastically. Oh, yes, sir, and a ham radio and a plasma TV and a couple of sports cars. Miss Perry, he said, sorry, sir. I forgot myself. Won't happen again. She crossed her arm. It's not a laughing matter. I wasn't laughing. It's just that I don't have the budget for that type of equipment, she said with a straight face. I should have known that. Probably so, but then he and his brother, not to mention his seasonally rapid mother, were worth millions. The gossip was true. She didn't doubt that he could walk into the nearest electronic store, purchase the highest ticket item, and contain, without blinking an eye, Jocelyn was on a much stricter budget. You live in an unscared apartment house, he said, thinking about We have locks on the doors and a telephone. You let our locks keep honest people out. That's all they do. She put her hands in her lap. Over the years that I've worked here, she began, I've heard a lot of people make threats. I don't know if a single one actually turned into an incident. Yes, well, I do, he said quickly. I won't take chances with your life or your son's. It was your life I was thinking about, she said quietly. He has a reason for wanting to harm you. His eyebrows are. Are you actually expressing concern for my welfare, Miss Perry? He asked with mock stone. Yes, sir, she said calmly. Very difficult to train a boss not to expect impossible menial, menial tasks. She added with a glimmer in her blue eyes. I'm not anxious to break in someone new. He laughed faintly. Touche. He lances it his watch to get and got to see. I'll talk to a few people and see what sort of arrangements I can make for somebody to keep an eye on you after work. On our budget, sir, we can probably afford a ten year old boy in a trench coat with one of those junior spy kits. He really glared at him. My brother has all sorts of shadowy contacts that we don't talk about. I'm sure at least one of them owes me owes him a favor. Rook comes to mind. No, she said once. No, absolutely not. I will not have that one-eyed lunatic anywhere near me. His eyebrows arched. She rarely been so outspoken about any other people who came through the office. He's very good at private security. Her jaw set so tightly that it bulged out with it. He ordered. She shifted restlessly. He said I should be gagged and locked in a closet. He had a stifle of May I ask what promoted him to make such a remark? Her eyes avoided it. He was making fun of my shoes. <laughs> he looked down. She was wearing the ballet slippers he usually wore to work. Bad for the instep, but extremely comfortable and affordable. Some of us can't manage the Marcus even on a good government salary. She said still ruffled months after the remark was made. Look, pops off and thinks he's being amusing. He'll get popped up if he makes another such remark to me, she said quickly. I'll see if anybody else was Mac a favor. It sounded like Carol Moreau, but I couldn't prove it. He was probably just fishing to see if he could frighten me, and he knew I'd tell you what he said, she added. Sir, you really could use someone to watch your back. Moreau may be a certifiable idiot, but he has family connections you want. I'm aware of that. Don't get insulted, she added when he looked at him. Your F you FBI types always think you're the biggest, meanest dogs on the block, and I'm usually your rights. I don't like funerals, she added firmly. We're breaking in new bosses. Here I said, exactly. I'll do my best to stay alive. He stared out the door and his head. My brother calls, tell him I want to talk to him. I'll be back after tea. I didn't notice that, sir. She had a pleasant. I haven't noted it on your calendar. Is joking. 
won't you be late for court? Yes, it's Judge Cummings sitting today, too, isn't it? And he doesn't like the FBI. She smiled angelically. Do be polite, sir. He muttered something under his breath. Sir, this is a government office. He was out the door before she could finish the sentence. Betty Rhines was constantly amused by Jocelyn's ongoing verbal attacks on her boss. He could just fire you, Betty pointed out. He wouldn't dare. There are very few paralegals working outside the judicial system. Where would he ever find someone to replace me? Jocelyn asked him. We have a part-time administrative assistant, she was reminding him. And Phyllis Hicks does offer to make coffee for the boss. I don't do menial chores, Jocelyn returned. Reiterated, it isn't in my job description. Betty sipped her coffee. Yes, but dear, she'd work for half what they pay you, she had a word. It's a flat economy. So many people are out of work. Jocelyn didn't let her uneasy show. She just went, Mr. Blackhawk is used to me, and he doesn't like strangers. That's true. It's just that he doesn't make the major budgetary decisions. Jocelyn started, what do you know that I, you're not telling me? Betty better it's probably nothing. Tell me. I overheard one of the senior agents discussing something Mr. Greyer said at lunch. Garen Greyer was now the special agent in charge for the Jacobsville Satellite Office, and he frequently showed up at the San Antonio office to have lunch with the San Antonio SEC. Mr. Greyer was disturbed at talk that they were going to reduce his office staff. And our own sack apparently wondered out loud if we could make do with one administrative assistant for the violent crime squad here with a part-time assistant. Jocelyn didn't move. She stared at the other woman with dawning horror. Betty had been with the Bureau for a long time, over ten years, and she had seniority. I said it was probably just talk. He might have even been joking. Please don't worry, Betty suggested. Probably they'll come up with some other idea for saving money for... By cutting our travel budget, I just didn't want it to come out to you out of the blue. You got, you're a great paralegal. I know George Cummings would snap you up in a second for his office, or the assistant DA would for hers. That was true, but no matter how good the working conditions or how great the pay, those offices wouldn't contain John Blackhawk. Well, that might be a good thing in some respect. It was devastating in another, Jocelyn. You're not going to lose your job, Betty said, returning to The sack and Mr. Blackhawk would fight for you. They would. She knew that. Despite her insistence on the perimeters of her duties, she was good at what she did, and she never slacked or avoided work. There were those unavoidable times when she was late for work. She looked up and Betty worried. I've been late sometimes, the older woman was concerned. Everybody knows why, she said, surprising. What? We know your son has medical problems, the older woman replied with one. But I never told anyone, Summer. I mean, Mr. Blackhawk came by when I had to bring Mark to the hospital to him. And he told all of us, she said. He didn't want anyone assuming that you missed work for some frivolous reason. He's quite fond of you, in his way. Although, watching him react to you is funny. You put his back up, as they say. Keeps him on his toes, Jocelyn. He really does tend to brood. <laughs> oh, coffee, Phyllis said, fine. Can I have some, too? Sure, sit down. Jocelyn invited. She noted noted the younger woman's clothing. It looked like the sort of thing Cammie Blackhawk would wear. But Phyllis had said her father worked as a police detective, and Phyllis was in college part-time. Where would she get the money for expensive clothes? Maybe Jocelyn was just tired and getting irritated over minor matters. We were talking about our workload, but he commented. It's so boring, Phyllis said. 
I wish I could be a detective like my dad and get to go to do crime scenes. Hugh watched too many crime television shows. Phyllis, Betty Chapel, Phyllis gave her a blank stare. You know those forensic programs that deal with trace evidence solving big cases? Justin said openly. They call it fiction. So many people don't know the difference, Betty said. Now jurors are so clued up that they argue with attorneys about trace evidence and murder trials. They watch a television show and a few things and they think they're qualified to rule on pathological evidence. Yes, it's nothing like what they show on television, Phil said. Bodies are so clean and tidy. In real life, the blood is everywhere. It splashes around like paint. She stopped because they were staring at her. Like, oh, my dad lets me look at file folders. Sometimes, she said quietly, to teach me how evidence is really gathered. I see, Betty said, but she was visibly uncomfortable. Some of those shows are just a little too graphic for me, especially when my son might walk in and see something that would give him nightmares, Justin said with a smile. I was never squeamish, even when I was little. Phyllis, that murder case we worked on with Mr. Blackhawk was really fascinating. You know, the one that Jay Cooper got arrested for, she had something. Aren't you working with a file about the handcuff man? Digging out information about his past? I'm trying to run down stuff. I got some rap sheets from S. San Antonio PD this morning. They're on my desk. I haven't had time to input the information. I may have to sign them out and do it at home. I guess it's a long rap sheet, Phil said. Very cute. <sighs> Such a sad case to kill Raven murders, basically. Imagine someone killing a child like that. Kids, adults, a life is a life, Bill said. They all do the same. You have a different outlook when you have a child, Justin said. Phil assumed as well. Well, of course you do. Betty said, my God. I worry about morose threats, she said. So when Mr. Blockhell seems to think it's a joke, the man is dangerous. His wife's uncle taught him how to be a monster, and his brother-in-law is a terror. Justin nodded. Jay Cooper is going to do some very hard time. He manages to avoid the needle. She had immediately. Imagine ordering the death of a woman and a small child. I'm sure that he did order it, despite all his denials. But it's really, Dan Jones may have done the actual killing, but Jay Cooper was behind it. If they can just convict him, is the thing. I hope they do. Mr. Blackhawk is supposed to meet an informant tonight at 7, Justin said Emily. He refuses to have a bodyguard. He doesn't think Moreau is a threat. That's foolhardy, better he said. Look what happened to Detective Marquise when he went to meet some shadowy informants. Marquise had been blindsided and then hospitalized. Justin was uneasy about the meeting tonight. Mr. Blackhawk takes chances. Oh, I'm sure he'll be all right, Phil said airily. She later set her watch. Very expensive. Gosh! I have to get back to work. Thanks for the coffee. She left without putting change in the kitty that helped pay for renew the canteen supplies without a word, but he took a bill out of her pocket and placed it in the container. Young people. She sighed. Justin smiled. You're nice. Thanks. So are you. I do hope they can convict Jay Cooper of little Melly Kilraven's murder. Jocelyn said, so Kilraven still isn't over it, she added written. Although he and his wife Winnie are expecting around. The new year, she's like, what a Christmas present they're going to have this year if she goes into labor early. Christmas, but he I haven't even started shopping. It isn't even Thanksgiving yet, she was reminded. Yes, but I usually have everything bought by all. 
Yes, but I usually have everything bought by August. You left. I'm efficient at on the job. I wish I could be that efficient at off it. <laughs> Jocelyn laughed too. Well, we all do what we can. The phone ring. Jocelyn got to be back to work. Thanks for the heads up. She added in a softer. At least if I get the axe, I'll be somewhat prepared. Perhaps I should start working up a resume. Wait, Betty Ross. A lot of this is all talk. I don't think the office can operate, which is me taking a workload from the squad and only a part-time for Mr. Blackhawk all at once. I'd have a nervous breakdown and I can pursue people to talk to me like you can. I can't persuade people to talk to me like you can. You're marvelous at the out information. Justin persons. I can do that. She agreed. Maybe there's work for a skip tracer. She had it indicating a lot of work that involved digging out information for detectives. I might look good in a church coat. Betty laughed again. Just before quitting time, the phone rang as Jocelyn was gathering things into her bag to take home, including the long file on Bart Hancock. Jocelyn picked up the phone. Hello? My love, it's been so long. She knew that voice. It's South African accent was unmistakable. She pictured a rugged, tan face with an eye patch and blonde hair and a long ponytail. Rook, she muttered. You know you're happy to have me around again, he drawled. Guess what? I'm going to be your shadow for a few weeks until the would-be perp stops making threats at least. I can't wait, dear Do you have body armor? He hesitated. Excuse me? Body armor? She emphasized. Right here. No, but I can borrow some. Why will I need it? If you attempt to shadow me, I'll rub beer grease all over you and open the lion cage at the zoo, she said sweetly. There was a slow, deep chuckle. Jocelyn, my love, I have two tame lions who live with me back home in South Africa. I'm not intimidated by big cats. However, you like to rub me all over with beer grease, he added in a deep, velvety tone. I could be in your office in two minutes flat. I'll even run red lights. She slammed the receiver down, her lips making a thin line. She muttered under her breath. A minute later, the phone rang again. She jerked it up and without thinking that if you call here one more time, Rook, I'll have you up for harassment. There was a faint pause as if she shocked the listener. Then Kilraven's voice came over the line, deep and very somber. Jocelyn, I've got some bad news. Winnie! She began worried because she was fond of his wife. They often went shopping together. He said, no, Winnie, my brother. John? Something's happened to John? She sounded almost hysterical, but she didn't care. Ellen Monroe's phone call came back to her in a flash of anguish. She gripped the phone hard. What happened? He's been shot. Critical. He's at the Hail Mary. Hail Marshall Memorial Medical Center. Hello, Jocelyn. He was talking to himself. Jocelyn had her purse over her shoulder. She ran to Betsy, small office, and told her what had happened. I'm on my way to the hospital. I'll call you the minute I know something. Betty started to mention that John's family was certainly gathered around him and would relay any news. The look of Jocelyn's face stopped the words in her mouth. She wondered if Jocelyn was even aware of her feelings for John Blackhawk, which were blatant on her John worried face. <laughs> End of chapter 5.